You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. All right, welcome back to another episode <laughs> of NFT365. And for all those listening here in the podcast side, we are recording live on Twitter Spaces, which means you are not stuck with me for the next hour as we here are doing this every single day. Uh, I've been getting a lot of messages from people that have been listening that have been trying to catch up on the 100 plus episodes, uh, you know, doing a daily podcast. And I just want to, I always like to apologize that that's just a whole lot of Brian uh, in your ear holes. And we're going to double the amount of Brian on this episode because our, our guest is uh, Brian Brinkman will be uh, our guest for this episode. So two Brian's, one with an I, one with a Y. And I just want to say thanks, everybody, for listening and jumping in. Also, for everyone that's participating in our, our pop, our, you know, our proof of podcast uh, little uh, technology that we rolled out. We have rolled out two of them uh, so far. If you're listening to this on the podcast, if you're listening to this on the Twitter spaces, uh, one of them came out already and one will come out uh, tomorrow. Uh, and that's our way of uh, hopefully uh, giving you a little taste, uh, you know, to reward and celebrate those that are listening to the podcast uh, in the first 36 hours. We were blown away on that first one for all those that jumped in and did that. And you have an opportunity to win uh, a free NFT as well, as well as some ADHD coin and maybe even some free merch. So uh, be, a, be paying attention to that. We'll have uh, there'll be four of them here in February and then we'll be doing the same thing uh, in March and all the months leading up to November. And, you know, just to set the stage, you know, this this podcast was really the, the concept of buying an NFT every day for a year uh, was inspired by, you know, the documentary conversation that I had uh, with Gary Vaynerchuk and Beeple in New York back on uh, November 5th. And or I guess it was November 3rd, the first day of the event. And and for me, like the the idea of you know how do we create like a mosaic collection? How do we bring people along on the journey and and buy an NFT every single day? And I've said this a lot, but I I always like to like kind of set the stage here is that you know I thought doing a podcast every day was actually going to be the heavier lifting of these two uh, projects. I thought you know buying an NFT every day I can do that, and then you know a podcast every day sounds like it's a, a massive undertaking, but. I will say it's actually the other way, buying the NFT, finding projects, the right projects, different projects, um, doing the research has been a, a lot of the, uh, of the I, I'd say the heavy lifting here. And I will say, you know, our guest, Brian, who's joining us today, when, you know, him and I met and we, I had heard of Brian, but we got to meet in a, a Twitter space a couple of weeks ago. And ever since following Brian, I feel like he's opened up part of the NFT world that maybe I wasn't even aware of, or I thought I was being like a very, a good steward of of the art creative space but i i feel as though after following brian uh i now have to kind of take a, another look at this whole uh space so uh i'm excited to have brian on uh on the podcast and, and you know brian i don't know how you introduce yourself usually i you know animator crypto art creator nft 
art ambassador. You know, you're involved with a lot of different projects. I know um, your work has appeared on the likes of the Tonight Show, Saturday Night Live, Sesame Street, and uh, to name a few. So, Brian, give us a little context of like how this whole world came to life, maybe before the NFT digital side of the house. Give us a little bit of like your background, and then we'll get into some of the questions. Yeah. Well, um, well, hello, everybody. Thanks uh, for having me on this. And thanks, everybody that's listening live and later on podcast. Um, yeah. So my journey, let's see, where does it start? Um, I think my digital art journey started when I was in, I would say, early high school. And I was making digital cartoons for a website called Newgrounds, which will probably date me a little bit. But it was an old website you could make flash cartoons on and you could post it. People would rate it. If you did well, it would go up on the charts and people would see it. And it was a fun way to make like these little short cartoons. And so um, I think from that point on, I got hooked on this idea of creating digital content and having people see it and respond to it. Like, I think it's the same reason people make TikToks or YouTubes or anything. It's that, it's that call and response of creativity. Um, and so from that point on, I kind of was like, okay, I want to be an animator. So I went to college in Philadelphia um, for traditional animation at a school called University of the Arts, which sounds like a made up university, but it's a real place, I swear. Um, and then shortly after that, I moved up to New York and I started working in the TV industry, the fashion ad agency industry, uh, music videos, concert posters. I kind of created any way I could because uh, one, it was what I knew how to do. I really enjoyed making illustrations and animation. And I just, you know, I love finding different ways of different mediums, I should say. Um, and so over the course of, I would say, 15 years, I worked on all sorts of television shows, like you mentioned. And while I was also doing that, I was doing kind of these pop culture art shows out in LA where they kind of do a lot of these kind of theme shows of like, hey, we're going to do a Rick and Morty art show, or we're going to do a show based on TV shows from the nineties. You know, it creates these kind of prompts for you to create cool pieces of art and screen prints and physicals and all sorts of stuff. Uh, so I was doing that on the side. And then I would say about two, a little over two years ago, I discovered NFTs and, you know, we'll get, we'll get into that. Yeah, next, so, but, so, uh, so I'm curious from the, you know, going to school from like the animator side, was there like, um, was there, were there animated? Cause I, for me, like, I didn't even know, like you were teasing saying this, you thought the school was made up. Like for me, you know, I'm, I'm a pager wearing millennial. I was born in 81. I, I, I'm 40 years old. Um, and like when I think of like animation and I think of like, I mean, I, I would go back to like, you know, Beavis and Butthead and we have Simpsons mm -hmm. and I, I don't think I like ever realized like there was like, a job or a role or a place for that? Like, how did you kind of like discover like that little like talent or even that like niche of opportunity? Yeah. Well, I would say there's kind of two paths you can take as an animator. Um, well, well, one being an animator gives you kind of a jack of all trades ability because when you learn animation, you learn both illustration and all the technical ideas of like uh, digital art programs, editing, sound design, um, DVD creations or web, web video creations. And you kind of learn this whole pipeline of how to make and tell a story from front to back. And so when you get out of school, you're kind of led with two paths. You can either, go this independent animator route where you make short films for film festivals and you kind of try and make a living by 
you know, doing some freelance things here and there and kind of build yourself as an, uh, a director that is, has a style. I would say like a Bill Plimpton is a great example of that. And then there's this other path where you kind of enter this animation system where there's studios all over the country, mostly in, uh, I would say New York, Atlanta and LA, where you kind of start through this like ladder system of like a cleanup artist and then a lip sync artist and then a storyboard artist and then a director. Um, and so you kind of have to choose that path early on. I found it hard to get into that animation world. And so I kind of veered in a different direction and got really into motion graphics. And by that, I mean like going back to like fashion agency stuff, doing like commercial work with like text treatments and visual effects. And that eventually snowballed into what I ended up doing at like uh, the Tonight Show Jimmy Fallon or SNL, which is kind of a visual effects work and motion titles and kind of photoshops and all everything in between. But having that kind of jack of all trades ability from going to animation school allowed me to kind of jump into all these different creative mediums. And I think a lot of that has translated into my NFT work where you see a lot of different styles and mediums and blending of 2D and 3D and all this other stuff. You know, it's so funny. I, I could not agree more on... Like, I feel like the NFTs is like the hub and home for everybody that's like multi-hyphenated, multi-passionate, you know, that jack of all trades, masters of none, you know, those that were told like you had to find one thing and only be good at one thing. And all of a sudden this world opened up and it's like, actually, you can kind of you know, create and do things in, in multiple different uh, you know, avenues and paths. And I, you know, I am very, you know, loud and proud that I am artistically challenged. Uh, I think my, my skill set, you know, that I kind of got blessed with is, you know, is the, my dad says the gift of gab, but I just say, I like to talk. And so I'm always curious for those that are, you know, artistically talented and like how those things work. So like you mentioned motion graphics and, and I mean, everything like, you know, Jimmy Fallon and, and some of the shows, how does that process work for you? Like, are there people, are they coming? Are you? Is there like an RFP or like a bid out that says we want you know this type of graphics and you kind of submit it in, or are you coming up with it and positioning it for the the project? Like, how does that work? Like in your uh, creative world? Well, in, in those type of shows, it's a staff job. You're there every day, um, and you work with a team of writers and producers. And so, in the morning, for instance, at like the Tonight Show, um, you know, the writers write a whole bunch of jokes in the morning, and they go, "Okay, this one needs." Uh, a Photoshop of this person. And then this one needs uh, an opening title for this bit we're going to do. That's called like sports something. And so then you have to build something out within a short time period so that it can be ready to rehearse and go on air that afternoon. And so with those type of jobs, it's just rapid fire um, creativity. But uh, in terms of like the conception of the ideas that's all done by the writing staff on the shows so um yeah you're just kind of like uh executing ideas constantly and some of them uh make it there and some of them get cut and it's kind of the fun of it is just that rapid pace but it also as an artist it really makes you have to try a lot of different styles because sometimes you're parroting a, a you know something in pop culture, whether it's an, another animation or a visual effect that's popular at the moment, like Thanos snapping and turning into dust or something like that. And then you go, okay, well, how do I mimic that effect? You know? And so then you're constantly learning new tricks and tools and stuff like that. 
I love that. And so, you know, and we're going to get to a little bit about, you know, one of the things that I've said for a long while, like I, I'm a technologist, you know, like for me, computer science, uh, technology has always been kind of my focus. And, you know, when I kind of discovered blockchain and, and started getting into that more in 2013, 2014, and, and really looking at what this, you know, web three creator economy, you know, looked at for me, like this idea of, I finally being able to play a role in removing that like starving from the starving artist and remove and the ability to remove some of the, like the barriers to entry and the regulation and the control that exists. And, and I'm going to get into that piece of it, but I'm, I'm curious for someone with like, you know, the work you were doing the the animation side, like was your entry point into NFTs as a creator first, like the aha, like, Ooh, I could really shift my artistic talent here as a creator. Or was it for, or was it first as a collector saying, Hey, this is another Avenue to, for me to kind of, uh, you know, dabble in this creative world, which, which way did you kind of enter first, um, into the NFT space? Yeah. So I discovered NFTs through another artist in space named killer acid and not because he told me about it, but because, um, when I collected his art and I saw him tweeting about, selling pieces on super rare. And I was like, Oh, interesting. You can sell GIF animations. Uh, that's a crazy idea. <laughs> and, and then I was like, what's that, you know, Ethereum symbol. I don't understand any of that. And so I kind of spent a month looking into the space, kind of trying to learn what NFTs were. And then I applied to super rare and I got on there and I minted. And then after I got a sale or two, I had some Ethereum and then I started collecting. So, um, the creation, um, to me stood out because I'd already, like I said, created for all these different things in the past, whether it's Newgrounds or Tumblr, or Instagram, I was always creating digital content and kind of giving it out for free in hopes that maybe some brand would hire me as a freelance artist or something. It was, that was kind of the game that artists had to play at that point. It was just trying to get exposure through viral sharing. And so once I saw this, I, I, saw the potential that, oh, okay, now I don't have to worry about making digital art and making it a physical piece for these LA shows. I can just make animations and I don't have to worry about a physical aspect at all. So that's really interesting from a, you know, from like that, like the aha, right. And like the, the piece of with, you know, an artist that you were collecting uh, for those that aren't familiar with super rare, can you give us a little bit like what, you know, for those that are out there, like what is super rare and, and what does that mean for, especially for artists that are, are, are kind of using that platform? Yeah, so SuperRare um, is one of many NFT platforms, but one of the aspects of it that makes it very unique is that every piece on there is a one of one, meaning uh, it's a single edition, only one person can own it. And so that's kind of why it gained notoriety early on. Um, and then you start to see a bunch of other platforms that allowed for editioning and all this other stuff. Um, but at the time when I joined it was kind of the only one I knew of. <laughs> so I eventually learned many more and I've joined many more since then. But um, I think a lot of people see it as the, I don't know, a gold standard of sorts because of that limitation on additions to only single. And especially from the standpoint of, you know, so much conversation, at least, you know, a lot of the world right now is around like the PFP generative art, right? So I, and I, and I think it's such an important aspect of, of the one of one collections and, you know, so many different ways that artists can, you know, present the, their different, uh, not only art itself in the sense of like types of format, but also, you know, the, you know, the amount and how they're, you know, limited editions. And, and I'm glad you brought up that, like the one of one side. So I'm curious for, you know, you've been in this space for a while over these two years, 
you know, from your artist perspective, and I guess I'll just kind of put it out there blunt and you can take it where you want. Since you've got into the space, do you feel like for artists, has the space improved or is it, has it taken a step back since kind of you first jumped into where we are right now? I'm just curious from an artist perspective. I think it's definitely improved. Uh, one, it's improved in the quality of the art we see. A lot more artists have joined, and I would say the overall quality of the space has improved. And even though I think a lot of attention gets put on the collectible side of the space, I don't think one necessarily takes away from the other. I think it, they find different types of collectors. And I think we're starting to see more and more of these profile pictures are getting artists that came from the one of one side of the space, creating it. And it's just an, it's another medium as an artist to create for. Um, It's a little more of a challenge in terms of building a brand than just making a single piece of art. But I don't think, um, I don't think it's gotten any worse in the space. I think there's certainly waves to when people are spending money and comfortable buying art. Cause I think one of one art, especially is a, a very long term um, investment for a payoff. If you're looking to make money, it's much easier to ride these hype waves of whatever the big thing is of the week. Um, but if you're trying to invest in an artist, I think the, the benefits of purchasing art directly from artists is more valuable in terms of long-term exposure to the creativity in the space. If that makes sense. No, it does. It does. And I appreciate you bringing that. And, and I was Excited, really excited to have you on the podcast for a lot of this, you know, this perspective, because I will, you know, openly admit, like one of the things that I would, you know, I, I was spending a couple hours today, you know, going through your different collections and the different, you know, I was, I was deep into your Twitter history of, of, you know, tweets that you've shared. And, you know, you're, you do a, a great job of amplifying other artists, you do a great job of amplifying other collections, even other, you know, platforms that are highlighting other artists. And to me, that's very, you know, I, I love seeing that in, in across any domain. And, and I think, you know, seeing that from an artist perspective, I think is really important. And I'm curious, you know, in, we get a lot of questions from, you know, people that are coming in saying, Brian, Hey, I am an artist and I don't know where to get started or what should I be on OpenSea? What is, where, where, what, where's the best place for me? And then other people are saying like, Brian, do I have to have utility even as an artist? Like, I don't want to have to build a discord. Uh, like, what does this mean? Could you kind of talk to us a little bit about that side from an artist perspective? Like, where would you give it kind of like a recommendation on like getting started? And then like, what is your take on like the, the sometimes feels like pressure, but also I, you know, I think there are, you know, maybe that's sometimes the vacuum that we live in. So I'm just curious your side on getting started and then that pressure to kind of add utility beyond, you know, your artistic talent. Oh, yeah, that's some big questions. Um, getting started, I think I would not mint straight on OpenSea if given the option. I know lazy minting is more affordable for artists, but if, if money is an issue, I would say start maybe over on Tezos, um, maybe on like object.com and sell sell some pieces, gain some community around your work, then take that profit and then move over to um, maybe making a manifold custom contract on uh, Ethereum or using that community built on Tezos to apply for curated websites like known origin makers place, super rare, et cetera. Um, I'm always weary of advising artists to jump into the space and spend a lot of money up front without knowing if they're going to sell their art. So I think it's, you know, there's a utility to, 
the Tezos community and that it's, it's filled with great artists and collectors buying and sharing art at a reasonable cost. And so I think, um, I think that's a solid way to start. Um, and then in terms of the pressure to add utility to the work, I don't think you need to worry about that right away. I think once you have a, a sizable collector base, then you can start to think about ways to reward them and, you know, keep continuing to grow it. But I think the utility of selling art as an artist is that you are personally connecting with your collectors and that is a utility in itself. Um, and so, yeah, I wouldn't stress too much about I mean, to me, to me, the word utility is just how do you give more value to a collector um, and whether that's airdropping them art or sending them physicals or just having a zoom call or a conversation with them. That's all utility that I think is all valuable. So, you know, from that, from that point of view, from like the artist view, like once you're, let's say you're, you've minted your collect, you've minted your art onto, you know, the blockchain into one of the marketplaces, as you kind of mentioned, how much do you feel like the, like the marketing and getting attention on that, that piece of art is on you as the artist versus like maybe picking the, the, the right chain or is it getting active in Twitter spaces? Like how would, how do you look at that from a standpoint of, you know, uh, you know, gaining kind of like that attention uh, to your collection, especially if it's not on like one of the the more high trafficked uh, marketplaces. How do you attack that yourself? Yeah, I think, well, you look at like kind of uh, the traditional art world and you go to a gallery in LA, for instance, that gallery is going to take 50% of the cut on the sale, but they're going to probably find buyers and they're going to make that that difference on their end here, the, the curated websites, they're going to take like 15 to 20%, but that 30% difference is on you because you're going to have to do a lot more of the marketing. You're going to have to jump into spaces. You're going to have to work to build trust in the community. I always think of, you know, being an artist in the space requires you to both, you know, divide your time with being creative uh, with marketing and promoting effectively, and then also connecting and having meaningful relationships with other people in the space. And I think you have to really work in all of those facets. Otherwise you're just not going to, you're not going to be able to connect in the right way. So I, I appreciate this and, and we're getting, I'm getting some comments on, the, on uh, messages being sent to me on the discord side. And, and a lot of people are, you know, this is a, a lot of information that, you know, we've done a hundred, you know, hundred plus episodes. Now this is 105 episodes, which is, 105 days in a row and we really haven't had you know kind of like the, the, the true artist perspective and i and i take that onus uh on myself and i and I'm, my goal will be to have more artists um on the space i saw uh you know jen uh decentralized jen was in here a little bit earlier i actually see jen stark is in here as well who's another uh talented artist with a, a coin over on rally um as well and yeah so jen's amazing Anne's amazing chris is amazing i see a ton of amazing there, artists in here there right we now. go so i so and i and so I'm I'm curious from a standpoint of, you know, for like talking to the collectors, right? There are there are those that are you know like those that are traditionally you know maybe stand, they they're used to going into a art show and buying art, but there's there's also those that are kind of new to NFTs and they're they're hearing about like flipping NFTs and PFP collections and and you're joining a Discord. How how would you how would you kind of explain or or kind of share like you know, the value of owning the digital art pieces and, and not really towards the naysayers, but rather attracting those that are, cause like for me, this was one, like, I don't know if I would have, 
like I made it an effort early on. I think it was probably August, July of last year that I was going to seek out some artist work that I was going to buy as NFTs um, because I didn't want to fall into like the trap of only uh, of only PFPs. But that that can be a very uh, interesting like you know you kind of go down that that rabbit hole. So I'm curious like you know from a you know from a collector's perspective and like you know owning multiple pieces and and that kind of world. How do you talk to collectors of NFTs as far as you know the one of one collections and like the value there and kind of like the the reason that you know those are kind of presented in a in a in a different way and in many ways as i i feel like in even a higher value way how would you kind of explain that to the audience um so i think the way to think about it if you're a collector looking at one of ones is you create your own success in this space and by that i mean uh, you, you can find an artist that's new in the space, help them make their first sale, and then use your platform as a collector to share their work and help them grow. And you can be a part of their journey, not just as an observer, but an active participant in their success. And then they're going to want you to succeed as well, because to me, the, the collector artist relationship is one where both sides want each other to grow. Because if the collector then goes and sells it, you get a percentage of that. You're invested in their success as much as they're you know, invested in your success. And I think that kind of symbiotic relationship is what drew me into this space very early on. And I think when it comes to PFPs, you get the community is that version of that kind of dynamic, but that's not always, it's not as personal. It's not as sincere as that, in my opinion. Well, and so one of the other questions that came in uh, from the back chat, and I and I like the idea of like that, you know, sincere co- connection. And and I I will say like for me when I it's that it's that interesting aspect of like once you own an artist's uh, you know one of one, and then you following them on Twitter, there's almost like this like you you get to like feel like they're like how they're going through life and kind of go on that on that journey with them. So I, I love that you kind of position that. Um, and I will say like you know for there's some you know in the back chat here. Uh, on the conversation around like discovery of like one of one collections. Is there, is there a way, like how do you go about discovering either new uh, artists or those that are, you know, have upcoming, you know, one of one drops. What, what do you do to kind of get your eyes on the, you know, on those pieces as they're coming, you know, in, you know, across these different marketplaces? Yeah. I mean, the, the best way is just follow as many artists as you can, because, you know, Everyone in here that I see that's an artist is really good at sharing other artists. We all want to help each other out. And the best way I've discovered artists that I really love is by seeing other artists retweet them and share it. I really think, you know, that's, in my opinion, that's the best way of discovery. The other way would be joining spaces. Sometimes they have these kind of like open mic spaces where people can come and share their stories and you can get a much more personal um, sort like feeling about the art than you would get necessarily from a tweet. But I think, uh, yeah, just follow as many artists as possible. So I'm curious from your standpoint right now, where you're at in the space, what are some of the things you have in the works? What are you working on? What are the things that you know are currently exciting you in this NFT space? Um, at the moment, uh, I have a, another drop on Nifty Gateway on March 11th, 3.11. Um, and so I'm excited about that. I'm kind of wrapping that up right now. I'm very excited about it. And then I have um, a few more drops lined up in the future. Um, some things I'm excited about in the space. I, I'm excited about wearables. I'm excited about 3D sculptures. I think 
we're, especially with like Artifact recently, we're seeing a huge influx of people starting to think about how they curate their collection in these virtual spaces. And I think uh, at a certain point, all the walls will be filled and there's going to be a lot of ceilings and floors that'll be primed for really cool uh, digital sculptures. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see like that next step and that next wave creatively. So I, I noticed that in your collection. So like you have you have some very unique ways of kind of 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 allowing your art to be displayed in the metaverse. Can you talk through that a little bit? I know uh, I like the more I looked at it, we had just the other day we had uh the founders of some uh some dot place, which is a you know mobile metaverse uh you know uh, immersive experience uh on the podcast and it kind of opened a lot of people's eyes to this idea of you know displaying art but also meeting in the metaverse around the art. But I loved some of your like you I mean you really took the the animation and almost took the animation into like a almost a metaverse uh immersive experience like how, what how how are you approaching some of those things um yeah so i mean in the past i've definitely made like pop-up metaverse experiences for drops i think any excuse you can have to pull people away from twitter and get them to observe the art in a way that doesn't that kind of removes the noise i think is super powerful and so, yeah, whether it's AR or VR, I think, I think that's going to be like a huge tool for artists because there's so much noise. I'm sure everyone feels it, like the amount of tweets and discords and everything. It's so overwhelming. And being able to grab someone's attention for more than a second is crucial right now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the attention uh, economy. And, you know, and I think, you know, for, for I think for us so many, too, we're, we're kind of discovering what, what, you know, what this, where our options are for, you know, you know, artistic, uh, creativity and kind of putting things out there. You know, I know for us here, uh, Kevin, who's, who actually does the, Kevin is the voice of our intro, but also happened to be, uh, the creator of, of our 3d NFTs that we have for the podcast. And, and I was on uh, a zoom today with uh, another creator that's doing, uh, having this very intense, uh, 3d, uh, right. 3d it's AR, um, immersive, uh, experience that allows us to actually, uh, with one click of the button or one scan of a QR code, jump into a, a true AR uh, world, which kind of reminded me of, you know, I was one of the, the first beta testers of Google Glass uh, at a data center I worked in uh, way back in 2010, I believe when Google Glass first came out, 2009 maybe. Um, and, you know, I think there's like those, as we remove some of those barriers, I, I love that you mentioned like kind of like the, the creativity options are going to go, you know, right now we're filling walls, but how do we fill, you know, the ceiling, the floors and some of those ways as well. Where do you where do you see as far as innovation and even additional places that we can go, um, you know, innovating not only with artists but you know, kind of coming together? Because I I will say one of the things that excites me a lot about this whole entire NFT space, and I feel like I felt it the most when I was in New York at you know NYC uh, or NFT NYC was I it was just an amazing eclectic group of human beings. The fact that there is, you know, artists sitting next to a developer, sitting next to a, a startup, sitting next to a, a VC, sitting next to a marketer, <laughs> sitting next to a, you know, a pro project founder. And so I'm curious, like, what are, what is, what's some of the innovation, you know, even maybe beyond that, maybe you're excited about kind of, you know, that maybe can open our eyes to what, where we think the, the artist space can go. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of touched on with Google Glasses. I think that's going to be a huge jump forward when Apple Glasses come out or whatever the next thing is, um, and that we can augment our, you know, our our homes and put dynamic art on our walls in real life. And I think 
Um, what'll be interesting is if two people have those glasses and they can see the same thing on that wall. I think that's going to just totally change the gallery dynamic where everyone that walks into the galleries now will just put on these glasses and have a shared experience. That's both mixed reality. Um, I'm really excited about that. I'm excited for gaming. Um, I, I, I see a lot of this metaverse right now and it's all over the place, but what I think is constant between all of them is that there's a ton of room for artists to be asset creators, whether it's sculptures or wearables or houses and architecture. I, I think a lot of whales are going to buy up this land and then they're going to hire people to fill it. And so that's going to be a whole economy of itself that I think, you know, we're kind of looking at it as a real estate economy right now, but I think it's going to be an economy that supports all sorts of jobs soon. I love that. I think there's, there's, there are so many, not only new jobs, but jobs we're going to be able to kind of re reimagine the, where those roles are coming. I'm curious, this is more of a, a selfish question just from a, you know, as someone like, you know, I, I've always kind of believed in the, you know, those that I'm working with, uh, I don't ever want to kind of control them. And I, and I worked in a very, a very interesting startup uh, data center company that we were, we were the startup that people read about. Like we had, you know, food truck Fridays and we, they removed all of our, our, you know, kitchen or our tables in our lunchroom and put ping pong tables. And we got rid of email for two months because someone thought that was a good idea, except for our sales team. Uh, and, but the thing about that, that company that really drove me crazy was that, you know, we would go out and hire the best employee from Amazon, the very best developer, the very best uh, cloud engineer. And we would, you know, hire them, pay them double the salary, bring them inside of our walls and then make them or ask them to operate our way, right? Rather than saying, hey, you're a creative talent, like let's set this up to where you can be most successful. And so I'm curious for, you know, those of us that are looking to work with artists from a, a collaborative perspective, from a, you know, hey, let, let's, let's bring you in on a project. What is the right way to approach that conversation for you as an artist that allows you the freedom to create, but also kind of builds that rapport between you know, yourself and, and those that you're collaborating with? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think it depends on the artist. If you're hiring an artist because you love their art, the expectation should be that they can make their art first in a way that benefits you. If you're looking for an artist to execute your creative direction, then you can kind of find an artist to do that anywhere, especially like outside of the space. I think um, the question is like, you know, are you going to give that artist equity in the future of whatever you're building is a huge question because if you like their work and you want it to be a part of your brand, you're going to want them to be creative with you for the long haul. And so I think there's a lot of different you know, we're seeing a lot of it right now with, you know, profile picture projects, hiring freelance artists and not giving them a cut of the future. And then when they have to go and make more art down the road, they have to like find other artists because those artists feel like they got a bad deal. Um, and so it's kind of, it's, it's interesting. I think there's so many different ways to go about hiring artists. I think I joined the space with this kind of whole, like the feeling that it was going to change the way artists had been treated in the past, um, both equity wise and, you know, credit wise in terms of making sure everyone that's involved gets, gets a cut and gets acknowledged. Um, I'm hoping that still stays the case, but you know, as, as the space grows, more and more people are going to try and 
you know, take advantage of artists, which has just always been the case our entire careers, especially animators. Um, that industry is phenomenally unfair towards artists. <laughs> um, so I think, uh, you know, my hope is things improve. And I, so far, I think they are. In a lot of ways, artists can show their NFTs and say, this is my value now. And you can prove it. You have receipts. You know, it's not just your word. Well, and I, 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 I don't think it can be a hope. I think it has to be a must. I think it's up to us, right? We are, we're shifting this, you know, this damn power dynamic from the platforms, from the, the giant entities, and it's up to all of us. I refuse uh, you know, to stand back when I see projects that are taking advantage of artists that aren't, um, you know, giving them their, you know, their, their true share, even, you know, our projects that the artist, you know, is the one that launched things originally. And then, you know, it's kind of almost pushed out of their own collection. Like that is unacceptable in, you know, my personal opinion. And I'm going to do everything, you know, I can with the, you know, influence that I have. And, you know, I think we can each take that upon ourselves to, you know, it's one of the things that I have in our criteria, you know, we're buying an NFT every single day. And one of the criteria that, that I added uh, about a month ago was, you know, what is what is that share with the artist? And some collections are, are making that public early on. Others, I have to you have to dig for it. And sometimes I reach out to the artist directly and ask them, like, hey, are you getting you know, I don't ask for like, hey, I, I need to know how much money you're making. But I ask them, like, hey, do you feel like you have an, you know, an equal enough share or that you feel like you have, you know, you're getting supported and, you know, in a way that's going to allow you to, you know, continue to grow with this, but also to, you know, be rewarded on, you know, secondary. And, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about here, because I think it's very unfortunate that, um, I mean, there's a couple of projects. I mean, one is like on the tip of my tongue, but I'm not going to actually say it that I, you know, I've, you can pretty much go back to my tweets a couple of weeks ago or a week ago or so, um, that I was, I was really disappointed to see that this project had pretty much forced out, um, the artist and the artist had the receipts, had, had screenshots of texts, had, um, entire emails, even had like, you know, the, the team, uh, you know, kind of bragging about how amazing the artist was and how essential they were for the project. Yet they were, you know, each one of the founders were taking 20%. And I believe they were offering uh, that artist originally 2.5%. And then they were offering them 5%. And, and I think that is, you know, that is the beauty of the blockchain. Hopefully that we will um, be able to have those receipts. The things will be able to be out there. And I think it's up to, you know, everyone that's listening to this, right? We, we can make an impact just on the projects that we support, the people that we support. And, and I don't think it's okay anymore to, you know, stand by and allow that, you know, these artists to be taken advantage of, to be, uh, you know, not, you know, not only financially supported, but also, you know, amplified and, you know, can, you know, and I know, you know, Kevin's in here who does our art on our NFT. And I feel like I want to tag him on every, every tweet on every post because, you know, that, you know, although the, the project and, you know, the podcast is my, you know, my voice and, and my baby, the, the NFTs would not be what they are without the amazing, you know, artistic talent that, that Kevin has brought to the, the table. And I, and I want to make sure that is known. And I think that is uh, something that I think all projects have to make sure that they're, uh, you know, doing a great job on that. And, you know, and we also have, you know, we've learned, you know, the, the internet is great for stealing artists work and making their own money of it. Right. I I've gone up against the, the F Jerry's of the world uh, that have stolen comedians work and, and meme culture. But um, I do think there's, 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 there's strength in numbers, especially around, you know, everything that we have going on here. So I'm curious, Brian, from a standpoint of, you know, you, you've been in this game for a while. You've worked with some amazing, um, you know, different projects, different, you know, TV shows. Um, like what's your, like, 
what's the thing that's getting you up in the morning? Like what's like, what's your, the thing that kind of like most excites you about, you know, is it this, is NFTs opening up a new door or is it allowing you maybe a, 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 a new work-life balance? Like, give us a little bit of that. Cause I think there's a, there's still people in our world that are traditional artists that will say, Hey, I don't want to put my, my art up there as an NFT because people can just, you know, right click it and save. So like, what, what's the, like from an artist perspective, like what, what's most exciting for you about this entire landscape? Uh, yeah, I would say as a work life balance, um, I definitely skew way more towards work in an unhealthy way, but that's something I'm trying to work on more. <laughs> um, but that, I think that's the, the idea of what is work in this space. Like what is it? It's a lot of the work in this space is just, being a part of the community in a fun way. So it's not like it's hard work, but it is, you have to be active and be involved um, to a large degree. And the space is nonstop. Um, I think I'm constantly um, thankful that I can wake up and make my own schedule and decide what I want to work on. And um, I certainly say yes, just a a ton of projects. So I have a a long list of things to do. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of self-managing at a certain point in a, in a both a good and bad way, but it's, it's definitely an educational uh, point in my life where I'm like having to learn to not have a boss and how do I, how do I manage myself effectively? Well, and I think that's, that is that beauty of, you know, entrepreneurship seems amazing until you realize that you entrepreneurship is the parts of it's great that we get to do all the things we love, but all the things that we didn't realize that we hated is also things that we have to do uh, in our day-to-day lives. And I, you know, I've been uh, on my own now for about seven years and I still feel like it's uh, it's a, a learning uh, experience. And I, you know, I think we're also, we are definitely in the early adoption phase right now where a lot of it is, you know, the time that you put in on Twitter spaces, the time that you put in, you know, replying to, you know, conversations, jumping into other discords, supporting others really does make a massive impact. I think as we get more mass adoption, you know, our ability to be consistent, our ability to be on, you know, creating content outside of just this, the NFT community bubble, I think uh, will increase um, in importance. So, uh, Brian, we're going to include all of your links um, and everything that you have. I, you know, I've really enjoyed going through your collections. You have a, a variety of of NFT opportunities for people to, uh, you know, see your art, consume it, uh, you know, own it themselves. Uh, I also really just appreciate your, you know, leadership in the in the space. And I, I will definitely recommend everyone that's listening to give Brian a follow. I, I really do. Uh, commend your ability to celebrate other artists. And, and I know you said a lot of artists do that, but uh, I don't think a lot of marketers do that. And I don't think a lot of startup founders do that. And I, I like to see that, you know, artists are leading the the way in that, in that sense. So uh, I will give you the mic for any, uh, you know, last words, anything else that you want to kind of share with our audience before we wrap it up. Um, yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me and thank you everyone in the audience for joining me. Um, things I have coming up tomorrow, uh, a project that I'm an advisor on called Changed Out is going to have an event in Spatial where we're going to highlight seven creators in the space and show how they've uh, used NFTs for charitable causes. I'm really excited about that. It's going to be tomorrow afternoon. So feel free to follow me on Twitter uh, if you want to join that. I'm sorry if you listen to this on podcast. It's probably over. But um, yeah, no, thank you again. And uh, yeah, I appreciate everyone here. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's changed Al. Um, and I'm curious. So, if like, what's your since we since you brought that up? Um, so how, how did you get involved in that in the changed Al, and what's your kind of role with that uh, today? Yeah, so I got involved with them about I would say eight months ago, because um, I had this 
you know, I was looking to fix a problem that I saw with the space, which is it's really hard for artists to um, release NFTs for charity in a way that doesn't hit them with a lot of tax responsibility and also um, create a huge mess when it comes to group shows. And so I've been working with this team to create a platform that kind of splits the sales directly in a way that allows artists to have a receipt for you know tax write-offs, but also not have to pay a huge burden on the tax of the sales itself. And so I think um, it's going to be a really cool platform for people to make art uh, about causes they care about and have the money directly fund those causes in a way that's like low friction, low, low fee. And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's, it's going to be launching the next month or two. Yeah. I'm excited for it as well. And I, I saw that, you know, on that, one of those change makers is, uh, is doc peace who I got to meet, uh, in New York and, and got to hang out with. And, uh, one of our, our good mutual friends, uh, Lauren was on the, on the podcast, uh, fairly recently as well. So there's lots of great things there. I will make sure to include that, um, in the, uh, in the podcast show notes. And, and for those here on the podcast, you know, I think it's important for us, you know, as you know, anyone that's in this space for, you know, standing up, not only for, artists, but standing up for, you know, the, the things that we believe in, the values that we uh, believe are important to, you know, kind of not only establish in Web3, but we can't let, you know, or, or allow or stand by for some of the values and things that we did not like in Web2 to trickle their way over here to Web3. And I think a lot of that, you know, comes down to, you know, what is the culture and the values that we, you know, as a community stand for? And, you know, there are a couple NFT projects that I, you know, I, I sold, I wouldn't say I sold them at a massive loss, but I sold them off as a loss after I kind of discovered some things that were going on that I wasn't, you know, um, something I wanted to be associated with. And I, so I just challenge, you know, everyone that's here that, you know, let, you know, let's, let's like lift up those artists, let's support artists that are in the space. And let's also recognize we have a chance to really reimagine the way all of these collaborations and, and revenue shares and even things like how do we help each other out so that we can, you know, spend less money in taxes and more money giving back to social good and to uh, uh, charities and, and things as well. So Brian, thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, as always, we're here every single day, 365 days. We are not even a third of the way there yet. Oh, that sounds kind of a little bit scary. But uh, I just want to thank everyone for, for tuning in. And uh, until tomorrow, make it a great day. Cheers. The show